Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So, this is week three of our series called Things Jesus Never Said. And if you missed the last two weeks, it's been, it's been a fun series so far. Uh, week one, we had our five for five, and we have five of our communicators uh, share for five minutes each, and they shared a different thing that Jesus never said. Uh, and it was really good, and it's available on our archive. You can go back and watch that or listen to the podcast. Um, and then last week, I shared a, a thing that Jesus never said, uh, and Jesus never said, live your truth. And so we talked that out and walked through what truth is and what it means to live your truth and how false that is. Um, and, and I'll just be perfectly honest with you. I said some hard things last week. And I was bracing myself for some uh, not very friendly emails. <laughs> and, and I didn't get one. I didn't get one hate email last week at all. And uh, I was a little surprised. But I do want to say thank you to those of you that responded and reached out and said, hey, thank you for sharing this. I even got uh, an email from someone uh, em- employed at IUP who just basically said, I didn't agree with everything you had to say, but... I appreciate you preaching from a biblical perspective, and I'm, I'm gonna be praying about some of the things you talked about today. Like, you've given me some things to think about and pray about. So I just am grateful for uh, people that, that we can hear the word of God and we can say, hey, I want my heart submitted to the word of God, and, and if I need to change, I'm willing to change, instead of saying, we need to change what the word of God says to line up with what we wanna live. Uh, so I appreciate that. And so, uh, so if you missed last week, go back and listen to last week's message. Uh, I think it'll be helpful for you, especially in the culture and climate we live in today. Um, and today I get to tackle one that I bet you have used at some point or another. Um, there's something that Jesus never said that we think he said somewhere. It's, it's in the Bible, I'm sure. And that's, um, God will never give you more than you can handle. And right now, some of you are like, oh no, is that not in the Bible? (laughs) Jesus said it, didn't he? No, he didn't say it. He never said, God will never give you more than you can handle. In fact, uh, God will never give you more than you can handle isn't found in the scripture. And you're like, are you sure, Mel? Because I think it is somewhere. It's not. It's, um, you know, Hezekiah chapter three. It's like the book of Melvin chapter one. Like, it's not there. It's not there. You're not gonna find it. But yeah, this is a phrase that we have thrown out so consistently in our lives. Um, I, I've, I have probably said it at some point in my life to somebody because I felt like I didn't have anything better to say. Maybe you've had that moment where you're dealing with somebody and they're struggling, they're suffering, they're going through difficulties and situations. And well, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. And it feels good to be able to try to help somebody, but it's just not true. It's just not in scripture. And so what does that look like? What does that mean? Because really when we say things like this, like God will never give me more than I can handle, what what we want that to mean is God will never give me more than I want to handle because we are so um, fixated on comfort and on us being happy and avoiding pain and avoiding suffering, that that's really what we're getting at. God, surely you don't want me to suffer, so I know that you'll never give me more than I want to handle. But that's not true. And one of the reasons this statement bothers me is um, because when we say God will not give me more than I can handle or God won't give you more than you can handle, what we're, what we're implying is that God is the author of suffering. And I wanna help you with this. We've talked in great length about suffering in the past. And so we're taking a little bit of a different tack today as we look at some of this. But I would encourage you, you can go back on our archive and find different messages about suffering that I think could help you. But God is not the author of suffering, okay? God is sovereign, which means he is in control of everything. But suffering came into this world because sin entered in the world. When man rebelled against God in the garden, sin entered in. It brought brokenness and it fractured creation and it caused illness, sickness, disease, uh, brokenness in relationship, brokenness in our relationship with God. It, It created just a broken world, a fallen world. And so suffering 
that we encounter is a result of the fallen nature of our world. It is not because God authored suffering in your life or in the life of people. God does not give children cancer. God does not cause car accidents. That's not who God is. God does not take from us, he gives to us. All these things are symptoms of the broken, fallen world in which we live. So I wanna make sure you understand God is not the author of your suffering. It's just part of the world we live in. So where does this idea originate? And I think where this idea probably originated is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and he's talking about temptation. And he says this, the temptation in your life are, or the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So he's talking about temptation here, and when he's, what he's saying is, he won't allow you to be tempted to the point that you sin. But this is different than suffering. What we do is we take this idea and we apply it to suffering and go, well, God will never give me more than I can stand. That's gotta be true, right? Because God's a loving God, and a loving God would never allow us to be hurt or go through difficulty. Let me share some scripture with you. 2 Corinthians, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in 2 Corinthians today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we'll start today. Verse 8, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And this is what he says. He says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on only on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from our mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Now, this doesn't feel that weighty, that important, that valuable, but let me just dissect this a little bit for you. He says, I want you to know how we're really doing, guys. He says, brothers and sisters, let me tell you about what we've been going through. And he says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. I love Paul's honesty. Like he doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't, let's be honest, we lie a lot, don't we? I mean, there's a chance you lied on the way into church this morning. If you talk to somebody, how are you doing today? I'm great, how are you? I'm great. Hey, brother, how are you? I'm good, brother, how are you? Right? Liars. <laughs> we say what we gotta say. The truth is, some of us are bad. Some of us were fighting with our spouse in the parking lot before we walked in the door. Some of you are like, my kids still aren't wearing pants and they're in the kids' church right now. Like, this is a bad day. It's a bad day, right? <laughs> but we don't say these things. We go, oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed, brother. How are you? But Paul didn't do that. He didn't say, hey, guys, I want you to know I'm blessed. Everything's great. I don't have any problems. He said, you, you want to know how things are going? Let me tell you how things are going badly. Things are bad. Things are hard. Things are challenging. In fact, they're not just hard. They're so hard, I expected to die. There's very few instances, I can't even think of one, where I thought I was going to actually die. Now, in the storytelling later, I might say that because it's fun or dramatic or whatever, but very rarely have I ever felt like I was going to die. But Paul said, I expected to die. And here's what he says. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Do you know what that sounds suspiciously like? God gave me more than I could handle. We were experiencing pain beyond what we could endure. We couldn't endure it anymore. We expected to die. He was suffering. But he can celebrate his suffering in this conversation. Listen to what he says. 
As a result, as a result of this experience, as a result of his pain, as a result of his expectation of death that he felt was imminent, he said, as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and we learned to rely only on God. And if I could, if I could take this message that I'm, I'm sharing with you today and I could distill it down to this one thing, it would be this. In the midst of our suffering, we have to learn how to stop relying on ourselves and learn how to fully rely and only rely on God. And if I could get this into your heart and into your spirit, it would transform how you suffer. It would transform how you navigate pain in your life, how you navigate loss. Because this is the key to everything. He says, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. And this is part of the problem with God will never give you more than you can handle because it puts the onus back on us. God will never give me more than I can handle. It's about my strength and my ability in this moment. And that's the issue. Paul said, I didn't have the strength to endure that. It was beyond my strength. It was beyond my ability. I couldn't do it, so I had to stop relying on my strength and my ability and only rely on God's strength and his ability. And this is what I want you to understand. God will continually allow more than you can handle in your life over and over and over and over and over again, but he will never allow more than he can handle in your life. The problem is when we put it back on us. I've got to do this. I've got to take care of it. I've got to be the strong one. I've got to, no, no, you don't have the ability to navigate your suffering and pain and hurt and loss and heartache. You can't do it on your own. But God can do it through you if you'll allow him. His power in you can do it if you'll trust him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul has been talking to the church about, um, oh, in the passage right before this, he's just talking about how God has used him and God has just basically downloaded revelation to him and his goodness and just, he's just bragging on God. This is how God is, what God has chosen to do through me. And listen to what he says in verse seven. He says, even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. So he says, and nobody knows exactly what this is. He calls this the thorn in the flesh. And historians and theologians, there is no general consensus on what this was. If it was a physical infirmity of some kind, uh, there's some speculation it could have been his eyesight. He had bad eyesight. Uh, that might have been it, but we don't know for sure. But what we see is there was something he was dealing with that he was suffering, that there was need in his life. And I want you to recognize he identifies it as a messenger from Satan. He didn't say, God sent this to punish me or to be mean to me. He didn't say that. He said, Satan sent something into my life. And listen to what he says. And he says, he did that. God allowed that to help keep me humble, to keep me from becoming proud. But listen to what he says. He says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So Paul says, man, I had this issue, I had this challenge, I had this, this problem in my life, and I prayed three times. And you know what God said? Nah, nah, I'm not gonna do it. Nope, I'm not gonna answer your prayer that way. Um, if, if I, I know some of you play fantasy sports, you play fantasy baseball or football or whatever, and that's great, hockey maybe, but in fantasy sports you have a draft. And you can pick your best players. And I want to pick, and you pick your team. And so if we were going to have a fantasy prayer draft through all of history with all Christians, every Christian who ever lived, and, and you had the first pick, the Apostle Paul would probably be pretty close to the top pick. He might not be the top pick. It might be like, yeah, my Sunday school teacher when I was a kid, or my granny, or something like that. That's great. But the Apostle Paul would be pretty close to the top pick in the draft, I would imagine. 
This is a spiritual man, a godly man. He knew how to pray. But did you hear what it said? He said three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And God didn't do it. God said, nope, I'm not gonna do that. That's a little depressing, isn't it? It's like, wait a second. That's not how that's supposed to work. Because I'm praying, God responds, and he heals, and he makes it better, and he takes away my pain. And Well, maybe, but maybe not. Because this is what he told Paul. Paul, he says to Paul, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Basically what God is saying is, I'm gonna give you the grace to go through this suffering because if you don't have the suffering, your heart's gonna become too proud. And I can't, my power can't manifest in pride. My power is manifest in weakness. So it is better for you for me not to answer your prayer the way you want me to answer your prayer. That's hard, isn't it? So this is what you have to understand. Sometimes we pray prayers and God doesn't answer and it's easy for us to go, well, God doesn't love me because if he loved me, he would. Or God's not good because if he was good, he would. God's not powerful because if he was powerful, he would. But maybe God is loving and God is powerful and God is good, but he just sees that if he gives you what you're praying for, it's going to be worse for your life. So when you pray this prayer, maybe it's like Paul, you prayed over and over and over again, and you're like, God, why won't you answer this prayer? Maybe it's because God sees. If I give you what you're asking for, you will be worse off for it. And more so, my kingdom will be worse off for it. Can you imagine the kingdom of Jesus without the apostle Paul? If Paul's pride had gotten in the way and he hadn't been able to do what he did and planted churches and led the church and... And God said, this is why I'm not gonna do it. Listen to what Paul says. It's not my boast in my weakness. I boast in my weakness. We don't boast in our weakness. In our culture, we boast in strength. Really, this is a human trait to boast about our strength, boast about how good we are, how wealthy we are, how strong we are, how good looking we are. Whatever it is, whatever is a strength for us, we boast in that. What we do not boast in is how broken down our car is. I never see an Instagram post of somebody and they're like, well, it's junked again, right? Smoke just pouring out of the engine. (laughs) Like, here's my car, I love it. Why? Because we don't boast in our weakness. We boast in our strength. We boast in in our extra, in our sufficiency. And Paul says, nope, in the kingdom of heaven, It's better to boast in your weakness because God's power is manifest in weakness. God's power is not manifest in strength. It's manifest in weakness. So I want God's power. So I'm gonna be weak. I'm gonna declare how much I need God. And this is one of the problems when we're suffering. Sometimes we don't do a very good job of declaring our need for God. We want God to rescue us, but we don't tell him, God, you're all I need. I was talking to somebody this last week and we were talking about um, the future and plans and dreams and hopes and, and this person was sharing with me and they're a little younger than I am so they were sharing some ideas and some things that they were hoping for and praying for that may or may not come to pass, they're not sure. And I was sharing some of my experience with this person. I told this person, I said, um, you know, a few years ago, and I think I've shared this story with the church before, but probably five years ago or so, I was praying in my prayer time, nothing special, and I felt like in my prayer time, God asked me a question. I felt like God said, if I asked you to leave the summit, would you leave? And like, yes, God, I would leave if you asked me to go because I'm pious and I'm holy, and so of course I would. If God says it, I'm gonna go because I just love Jesus that much. And second day, same question. If I asked you to leave summit, would you go? And at this point, I'm starting to get a little nervous. I'm like, wait a second, what do you, I don't wanna go anywhere, God, I like this place. Like, but yes, if you asked me to go, I would go. If you need me, if, if that's what you want, I would. Day three, same question. If I asked you to leave summit, would you go? I was like, uh, yes, I think so, but why do you keep asking me this question, God? And it was like, oh no, I didn't even tell Kim. Uh, she would have murdered me in my sleep, probably. <laughs> I was like, I, I, yes, I, yes, I would, God. If you wanted me to go somewhere else, I would go if you asked me to. 
And on day four, same question. I said, yes, I'll go. And it felt a little bit like where Jesus was asking Peter, do you love me? And he keeps asking, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And this was one of those moments. And so day four, I felt like the same question came. And it, after I said, yes, Lord, I would, I would go somewhere else if you asked me to. I felt like he said, would, what about if it was smaller? Would you go to a smaller church if I asked you to? And I was like, God, no, you know how this works. Like if I'm at a good church, I go to a better church, right? If I'm at a big church, I go to a bigger church. And we all know how this works, right? If you get a promotion, you go to a bigger job. Big, you know, you know how this works. And I'm, I'm kind of joking, but I'm just, I want you to see my heart. Because this is, this is where the Holy Spirit just cornered me. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, am I enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? It was like, whoo, because what it revealed in my own heart was like, well, yeah, Jesus is enough, but it's like Jesus plus a good church. Then that's enough. Then I'll be happy. Jesus and a growing church. Jesus and a bigger church. Jesus and a healthy family. Jesus and a good salary. Jesus and a whatever it is. You fill in the gaps. Well, we all have this where we go, God, if you'll just give me, yes, Jesus is enough, but I want Jesus and a good job and a good income and family and here's all the things I need. And if you give me all this, then I'll be good. And, and what I think God wants from us is for us to be able to say, God, your grace is sufficient for me. I don't need all the things that I've been praying about. God, if you'll just give me this and this and this, then my problems will be better. Then my suffering will be over. And God is saying, and Paul is saying, this is what God showed me. My grace is all you need. You've been praying for all the wrong things. You think if you just get the raise, your life will be better. You think if I'll just fix your marriage, then your life will be better. But that's not it. My grace is all you need. And this is where I come back to. God, help this to be my heart, that, that your grace is all I need. I have a singular focus on you, God. And just being transparent with you, that's not always who I am. That's not always what my heart is. God will never give you more than you can handle. Every day, on average, about 30 people are martyred worldwide for the, for the cause of Christ. That doesn't sound like a lot of people, 30 people. A school bus of Christians die every day because they follow Jesus. Since Christ walked the earth, there's an estimate that about 70 million people have been martyred for their faith. 70 million because they worship Jesus. Did God give them more than they could handle? It feels like he did, but I think if we could interview them in heaven, they would say, no, absolutely not, because I didn't need to be saved physically. I didn't need those things. What I needed was God's grace to endure what I was going through. And what we need is not all these answers to prayer that we are reaching out for. What we really need in our life is the grace of God to endure and navigate our suffering well. So the question is, how do we successfully navigate suffering? And that's the real question. How do we successfully navigate suffering? Because you know lots of people that have suffered and they have suffered and suffered and suffered, but they haven't successfully navigated it. So how do we successfully navigate suffering? The first thing is this. Keep eternal perspective. Keep eternal perspective. Um, when my kids were little, they would have an accident, they would fall, they would hurt themselves. And in that moment, that was the worst thing that has ever happened in their lives, right? They would be riding their bike and skin their knee or something would happen. And you would think the world had ground to a halt. Everything had stopped because of this moment. Do you see my knee, right? Like this is that moment. And they're screaming and ah! And I could try to reason with them and go, don't you understand? Like, it's gonna be okay. And tomorrow the sun will still rise and your knee will be healed and it's gonna clot and here's what's gonna happen. They don't care about that stuff. All they feel is that moment. They feel the pain. They have no perspective, right? They can't see that it's gonna get better. Uh, my dad, he, I mean, as long as I could remember, he would say whenever I had something happen or something, you know, some misfortune in my life would befall me, uh, he would say, well, you'll never know it 100 years from now. I'd be like, you are absolutely correct. I will not know it 100 years from now. 
And it was kind of a joke, but it was just a way for him to offer some perspective and for him to be able to go, hey, let's look at the big picture. Is this something that has eternal weight or not? And if it doesn't, then why would we get sidetracked on it? Romans chapter eight, verse 18, Paul says this, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. See, if we could step back from our circumstances and see the suffering we're dealing with right now for what it really is, it would not seem as, as big an issue as we feel like it is. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter four, starting in verse eight. He says, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. So this is what he's saying. He's saying, here are the issues. We're not, we're not sugarcoating this. This is real stuff. We are surrounded by troubles. He says we're pressed on every side by our troubles. We are perplexed by what's going on in our world. We're hunted down because of our faith. We suffer. We get knocked down. This is our life. But his perspective is different because he has an eternal perspective, because he is rooted in his heavenly identity. So he says, yes, we're pressed on side by troubles, but we're not crushed. Yes, we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. And here's part of the problem. In our world, our world has begun to despair. Our world sees the issues we're dealing with, and even the church sees the issues we're dealing with, and we've begun to despair that there is no hope, that we're not gonna be able to make it through this. And how are we gonna, how is this gonna happen? What's gonna and we have lost our eternal perspective and it's caused us to despair. We're never abandoned by God. We're knocked down, but we're not destroyed. And he said, all of this suffering is worth it because it is producing life in other people. See, this suffering is worth it because of what it's producing. Verse 13 says, we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. Here's what he says. This comes back to this grace thing again. As God's grace is, is pushing out, as, as God's grace is advancing, more and more people are getting this revelation of who Jesus is and God's glory is spreading. And he said, all of our suffering is worth it because God is glorified in the end. All of our suffering is worth it because of what it is producing. And so sometimes what happens is we don't recognize what our suffering is producing because we have the wrong perspective. All we see is our suffering. And so if we can step back and begin to have an eternal perspective, it helps us see that our, our suffering is producing something, not just in us, but in the world. It's producing life in others. It's helping others. It's being leveraged for the glory of God. And he says, verse 16, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs all the troubles and will last forever. So when you look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. This is why we don't give up. This is why we endure suffering, endure hardships, endure struggles is because of what it is producing in us, what it's producing in others. It's carrying light and life to others if we are suffering the right way. He says, though our Bodies are dying. There is mounting evidence every single day when I wake up and look at myself in the mirror that this body is not getting better. It is only getting worse. Now, I know you're probably different and you are on some sort of scale where everything is perfect and physically everything feels better every day the older you get. But I will tell you, um, whenever I get out of bed and I put my feet on the floor and my body is making noises that I've never heard before, it's like, 
like, what is that sound? And anyway, that is evidence that my body is decaying. We cannot beat Father Time, right? It's relentless. I've said this before. Things are happening to our bodies that we wish we could stop, but we cannot. But this is what he says. Our bodies are dying, but our spirits are being renewed every day. While, while death has its grips on our physical body, there is life in us in Christ Jesus. While there is death around us, there's heartache and sorrow around us, there can be life and light in us if we're being renewed by Christ every day. And he says, for our troubles are small and won't last very long. If somebody ever calls something you're doing small or little, it just feels condescending. How's that? I heard you got a new little job. How's that little job going? Right now, I wasn't even saying that about your job. Some of you felt offended right then, didn't you? They're like, I will cut you, right? Like, come on, I will fight right now. And so when Paul says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, when he says, well, your problems are small, doesn't that make you go, well, wait a second, my problems aren't small. You have no idea what I'm dealing with. My problems are huge. My problems are gigantic. My, my problems are weighty. But you're missing the point. He's not saying that they're small. What he's saying is that they're small in comparison to eternity. See, small and temporary problems don't feel that way unless we compare them to eternity. And when we compare our current problems to eternity, all of a sudden they don't seem so big anymore. All of a sudden they don't seem so weighty anymore. But it's about what we fix our eyes on. He says, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. We fix our gaze on Jesus. See, here's the thing. Um, did you know God is, is all around us? He's here with us right now. The problem is we don't have the perspective to see it. See, eternal perspective will make big problems seem small. And eternal perspective will help us fix our eyes on the right things, the eternal things instead of the temporary things. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. I just read it. Let me read it to you from the English Standard Version. It says this, for this light momentary affliction. This light momentary affliction. I, I want to I challenge you to something. Gentlemen, um, when your wife gripes to you about something going on in her life, I challenge you to call it a light momentary affliction to her face and see what happens. <laughs> Pastor Dick will be happy to do some marriage counseling with you later if you need that, but... Again, it doesn't feel light or momentary in the moment, does it? This is what Paul says. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So Pastor Kendall, who was up here earlier, um, you guys know Pastor Kendall. Um, he, he tricked me into working out with him for a while. And I say that, don't worry, I've, I've stopped. I, but he tricked me and I was working out with him. And I, I don't do it anymore, believe me, because I would, after I would do it, I would hurt. My body would hurt and I was sore. I'm, I never get sore anymore after I don't work out. So it's amazing. <laughs> so I would work out with him and I would be like, okay, he'd say, hey, how much do you think you can do? I'd be like, I can do this much weight. He'd be like, now nah, you're gonna do this much. And I'd be like, that's, that's more than I said. He was like, yeah, that's right. I'm like, okay. And I would do the weight and, I would, and I'd be hurting. And before you know it, it'd be like, hey, we're gonna do this much weight. And I'd be like, that's more than I did before. And he's like, yeah, that's right. Because he understood this principle. He understood that this principle of resistance was building strength. So the resistance I felt that was causing me pain in the moment was actually building strength for me to carry a greater weight. And here's what Paul says. He says, this light momentary affliction, it's light and it's momentary. It just is gonna take a second, but it doesn't feel like it in the moment, does it? It feels terribly painful. It feels weighty. And he says this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. He said there is a weight that you can't handle because you can't bear this light momentary affliction. But this light momentary affliction is preparing you to carry the, the weight of glory that God wants you to carry. See, the problem is some of us want the weight of glory, but we don't want to endure the suffering. We want the resurrection with Christ, but we don't want the death with Christ. And Paul's saying, the suffering is worth it because of what it's producing in our lives. The first thing is we keep 
eternal perspective. Second thing is this, keep in the presence of God. Keep in the presence of God. Uh, there was a, a parallel study done on the mental, well, uh, the mental well-being and mental health of adults uh, in the United States. It was done in 2019, and they followed up again in 2022. And so these are brand new results. And in these results, the, uh, the same adults that were polled in 2020, uh, 2019 were polled again in 2022, and the rates of anxiety have tripled and quadrupled among the same people between 2019 and 2022, three years. Uh, the same people were polled and the rates of suicidal ideation has tripled from 2019 to 2022. And this is a problem in our world and the numbers are even worse for teenagers, by the way. Um, and this is a problem in our world, but we would be foolish to think that it doesn't encroach on the church. It absolutely does. There are people in this place that you are feeling the weight of anxiety in our world and just the issues, the problems, the suffering, all this stuff, it's gotten into us. And I don't know a better way to say this, so I'm just gonna say it this way. I, it just sounds churchy and it sounds like something a pastor would say, but I really do believe one of the most important things we can do to push back on that stuff is get in the presence of God. We have to keep in the presence of God. How do we get in the presence of God? Well, first thing we do is recognize that God is with us. I read just a minute ago, 2 Corinthians 4.18. It says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we can see now will soon be gone. They're temporary, but the things we cannot see will last forever. What is he saying? He says, fix our eyes on God. This is important. In Hebrews chapter two, and again in Hebrews chapter 12, it says we fix our eyes on Jesus. And the reason we do this is because I mentioned this earlier, God is omnipresent. It's just a fancy word that means God is everywhere all the time. So God is here in this place, but he's also in your car on your drive to the restaurant after we finish here today. He's also with you in your car uh, to work tomorrow. He's also in your, in your um, cubicle with you. He is in your class at IUP. He is on your bus ride to school. Wherever you are, he is too. Now, if God is everywhere, it's important for us to understand that he is with me all the time. I'm in the presence of God all the time, but it's not just about the presence of God, it's about the awareness of the presence of God. So how are we aware that we are with God? By fixing our eyes on him, by making sure that we keep our eyes on him instead of our problems, instead of our situations, instead of the pain and suffering that we're dealing with. We have to keep an awareness of the presence of God, not just stay in the presence of God. And there's some real benefits to being in the presence of God. Let me just hit a couple of these before we finish up today. What do we find in the presence of God? The first thing is this, we find refreshment in the presence of God. We find refreshment. This word here, let me read this passage to you. This is in Acts chapter three, verse 19 and 20. It says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that the sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come for the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. This is what it's saying. Um, this word refreshment, it, it, it has this connotation of the opportunity to catch your breath. For you to get your breath back. For you to be able to stop and go, oh, Okay. And our world is in deep need of refreshment. Our world is exhausted and it's exhausting. You feel it, I'm sure. You sense it because you live in the world we live in. People are worn out. They're exhausted. They need refreshment. Um, when I was a kid, I used to play soccer. And my favorite part of soccer was not the game, the athletic endeavor. My favorite part of soccer was the snacks afterwards. Is that a shock to anybody that the food would be my favorite part? And it was, in fact. And so, you know, they would have some sort of fruit like orange, the orange wedges and Capri Sun. And I just want you to know I could pound me some Capri Sun back in my day, okay? 
Like one pouch was not enough. I would squeeze it out like jet fuel right in my throat. Like I love the snacks. I love the refreshment, right? We'd run and sweat and we'd be gross and smell like kids and nasty. But I love the snacks afterwards. I love the refreshments, right? Think about this. If you're ever working in your yard in a shop, whatever it is, and you're dirty and sweaty and nasty and all you want is a, a glass of ice water. You just want cold water. And as you are drinking it down, it just feels good. It's like, oh, okay. And these are crude examples, but I am telling you, there's refreshment, not just for our bodies, but for our souls in Christ Jesus. In the presence of God, there's refreshment for your soul. There's an opportunity for you to catch your breath in his presence. We find refreshment in the presence of God. We find joy in the presence of God. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says this. You make known to me the path of righteousness. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. So let me paint a picture for you. Um, if you go to Sheets and you get a drink and you go to the fountain and you are pouring your drink, this is a very food-centric message I've just realized this weekend. If you're pouring your drink and if you're not paying attention, have you ever not paid attention and like all of a sudden you look up and you're like, oh, and it's like, it's like a dome of soda on top. And it's like, it is a miracle of modern science how this happens. It is like over the top of the rim. And you're like, I don't want to breathe on this. I don't want to. And it's like Indiana Jones handling the idol, right? You're like, careful, careful. So you get a drink out of it because you know if you just touch it, if you breathe on it, it's going to spill out, right? Because it is full beyond its capacity in that moment. And this picture is what, what God wants to do with joy in your life. And some of you, you've lived without joy for so long. You've just endured. And I want you to know something. God wants to deposit joy in your life. And he doesn't want to just give you a little bit, just a measure of it. He wants to fill you to capacity and beyond capacity, to overflowing. That's what he wants to do in you. Because when you are spilling out with joy, it's going to impact the people around you. How do we find joy? It's in the presence of God. Being in his presence, recognizing he is with you, inviting him into your car ride to work tomorrow morning, inviting him into your personal time, inviting him into the mundane moments of your life, just fixing your eyes on him to recognize he is with you. It'll bring joy. We find rest in the presence of God. Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, I will personally go with you. I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. I love that God says this. I will give you rest and everything will be fine. And if you hear this from God, that's all you need to hear, right? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says this, come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. And the word rest here in the Greek, it's a word anapao. And anapao, it means to cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect his strength. So this is, this is important because some of us we won't stop moving, won't stop doing, won't stop working because we don't trust that God will take care of it. And some of you, you need to trust God that he is the one who's going to do what he has said he will do if you just trust him. If you just stop long enough, you will find rest in him. I've talked a lot about rest in the past and the Sabbath. Some of you don't take a Sabbath because you don't trust that God will God will take care of you if you put him first, but he will. You'll find rest if you just stop. Fourth thing is this, we find direction in the presence of God. We find direction in the presence of God. Did you know this is one of the things I get more questions about than anything else? Across, across ages, it doesn't matter if it's kids, junior high, high school, college age, all the way up to senior adults. When we have a, a, especially a season change in life, maybe a retirement or a loss of a spouse or people will be like, I don't know what's next for me. And what they're really saying is I need direction. I need to know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I need to know where I'm supposed to be going. 
And listen to what it says in Psalm chapter 73. The psalmist says this, nevertheless, I am continually with you. So I love this because he is saying, God, I am with you. This is a prayer to God. I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. He said, God, when I'm in your presence, when I'm with you, I don't have to worry about what's next because your counsel will guide me. Now, this doesn't mean he's gonna give us the whole roadmap, but what it means is if we're in the presence of God, he's gonna tell us what our next step is. All we have to do is be in his presence and his counsel will guide us. The problem is we don't stay in God's presence. We go, oh, this is something that we come to church, right? This is where the presence of God is. This is the house of God. I used to get in trouble when I was a kid because I would run in church and my mom would be like, you don't run in church. Have you ever noticed that you can tell how angry your parents are by how much their jaw moves when they're correcting you? (laughs) We don't run in church is a lot different than we do not run in church. It's like, oh, that's serious, right? And my mom would have that conversation with me. Why? Because this is the house of God and we come to the presence of God. And, but the reality is the presence of God is with you. Are you aware of it? I wanna read 2 Corinthians chapter 12 to you one more time. I wanna read it from the message version. It's just a little plainer. This is what it says. Because of the extravagance of those revelations so that I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he did, in fact, was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on my handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take my limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. See, we think God will never give you more than you can handle. But I want you to hear this. God will give you all the grace you need in every situation if we trust him. And I know, man, some of you come in here today and no matter how much you are suffering, no matter how deeply you hurt, you need to know the truth that God's grace is really all we need. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna turn it over to our host in Blairsville. They're gonna close out our time. They're gonna give you a chance to respond. And I wanna pray with you guys. So guys, in Blairsville, I love you more than you know. And I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So here in the room, obviously we're talking a lot about suffering today. We're talking a lot about hurt and how do we navigate challenges. This isn't easy stuff, it's hard. But we were never promised that life would be easy. We were promised suffering as a matter of fact. We were promised that it would be difficult. But Jesus also promised at the end of his life, the Great Commission, he said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's his promise for us. He is with us. He is with you. The question is, are you aware of that? Do you recognize that God is with you today? So my challenge to you today is simple. It's number one, have an eternal focus. Have an eternal perspective. Say, hey, my problem is a problem, but compared to eternity, it is not nearly as big as I feel like it is right now. So God, help me to have an eternal perspective. And then the other thing is, Keep in the presence of God. Maintain a focus on God and that will keep an awareness for you that he is with you. And this is what produces life in us is being in the presence of God. The reality is maybe you're struggling with that because maybe you're not really walking with God. Maybe you've never really surrendered your life to Christ and I wanna give you that opportunity today. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes over this place. Lord, thank you for loving us. I just pray you bless these next few moments we have together. I pray that you be glorified through it. And I pray that as as we surrender to you, as we surrender our hearts and our lives, as we surrender our control and our desire to, to manipulate how things turn out, God, as we surrender this to you, I pray that you be glorified. I pray that our problems would seem light and momentary compared to the, the weight of glory. And God, I pray that you'd condition us well as we are enduring hardships, that we are prepared to carry the weight of glory you have for us. 
We got minister in us in these next few moments. Now with nobody looking around, if you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God. I'm not really walking with God. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ, but today you say, today's my day. Today, I, I wanna surrender my life. I wanna know what it's like to walk with God and be in a relationship with him. I need the Holy Spirit's help. I, I've tried to take care of this stuff on my own and I recognize I can't do it on my own. I need the Holy Spirit's help. So I wanna surrender my life to Christ today. I'm not gonna embarrass you, I just wanna pray with you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it and you can put it right back down. Yeah, thank you on my left, praise God. Praise God. Who else would say, that's me, pray for me, Mel. include me in that prayer. I wanna surrender my life to Christ today. The book of Romans, it tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So, so we're gonna pray a prayer together with our mouths. We're gonna pray this out loud. And I wanna invite you to pray this with me all over this place. And I don't want you to just say words. I want you to pray it from your heart. So pray this prayer with me out loud, everyone here. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. And thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life is for you. Use me for your glory. Use my strengths and my weaknesses. Use my failures and my wins to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, the word of God tells us that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. And it's true, you are a new creation. So no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've dealt with, um, you're new today. We wanna help you take the next step. If, so if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, here in the room, online, simply text, let us know. Text Summit PA to the number 94,000. Uh, we're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna help you take the next step in your faith journey. So please, please, please do that because we wanna connect with you. We wanna help you. Uh, if you'd prefer, if you're here in the room, you can simply take the card out of the seat back in front of you, fill out the side of the card that says salvation, and then take it to the info center when we finish here in just a moment. They've got a, a Bible for you and they wanna help you get started on your journey as well. So thank you so much. Here's what's gonna happen now. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in a final song. We're gonna worship together. And while we're singing this last song, our prayer team's gonna be here to pray with you. Um, but I wanna encourage you. Some of you have never really practiced the presence of God and, uh, and not to embarrass people that are walking out, but don't leave unless you have an emergency because we wanna take a couple minutes here as we finish and just practice the presence of God. Maybe you've never drawn an awareness to yourself of, oh yeah, God is with me right now. And I, I wanna encourage you in these last few minutes as we're singing the song, just to take some time to practice that and have an awareness that God is with you right now so that you can be in his presence, not just right now, but as you leave and later today. And, and our prayer team's gonna be here to pray with you if you'd like. We would be honored and delighted to pray with you. If you wanna sit, if you wanna stand, if you wanna kneel, if you wanna come down here and pray, whatever you wanna do in these last few minutes as we just steward the presence of God well. So feel free, let's worship together as we sing this one more time. And uh, guys, I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I could be your pastor. God bless you. <laughs>